Devin, come up here a minute. Come on up here a minute. Just come right on up here. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you sing or anything like that. All right, this is Devin. He's a great kid. He really is. And we're thankful that we have him in the college. But I want to just show you just a little bit of the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. And that is, this is the man. And my coat, well, the coat is the, the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon the man and uh, give him the power to do whatever God wanted him to do. It was not to save him, it was to use him. He was chosen by God to be a vessel that God can use. So even with Gideon, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And you'll find that mentioned also in other places in the Old Testament. And so even David prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, in the New Testament, it's a little different. Well, it's a lot of difference. So, in the New Testament, this is Devin over here. And this is the Holy Spirit. And so, the Holy Spirit wants to get on the inside of Devin. And now he works from within before he works from without. So now he says he will indwell him forever. So he's going to be on the inside of us. So the Holy Spirit now lives within us and our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And there is a difference. And the Holy Spirit will never leave you and never forsake you. So thank you, Devin. In the Old Testament came upon, but in the New Testament to dwell within. One was to use for a certain purpose and then leave, but now the Holy Spirit indwells us forever. Now, you hear a lot on football and Monday morning quarterbacks and all kind of things that uh, let you realize that you're supposed to get in the game instead of just sitting on the sidelines criticizing. Now, when it comes to serving the Lord, you'll find out there's many of the people in the Bible. They, not all, were top-notch individuals. Their lives weren't always that clean. God even uses sometimes vessels that were not exactly usable to the place where God would get all the credit and the glory. There's people who did wrong. And so when you read the Bible, you'll see... You think, why did God use that person? The same reason he uses people like that today. The best thing to do is try to live as clean as you can, as strong as you can for the Lord, so God can really use you. Now, a man by the name of Theodore Roosevelt, he made this statement. And I love statements like this because it helps me to know how I'm supposed to think. He said, it is not the critic that counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled. Because if you decide to serve the Lord, somebody's always waiting for you to fall. Because if you commit yourself to serving the Lord, you are a natural rebuke to those who don't. And therefore, there's a lot of people who want to just stay lukewarm. They're not hot, they're not cold, but if you got hot, it would reveal how lukewarm they are. So they don't look too bad as long as everybody's the same. 
but when one person steps forward and does something different, then it's uh, like a rebuke to them, like a slap in their face. I remember when I was at Florida Bible College, we had to um, take a class called public speaking. And I guess it was good for me because I, uh, I was scared to death to get up in front of people. I know you probably don't believe that, but it was the truth. And our teacher told us that we had to step up in front of the class and say, I know men in the rain that are going to stay in the rain. Why? Because they don't have the ability to get things done. And every one of us supposed to go up there and say exactly the same words. Exactly the same thing. Well, me and Bo Bryan and several others, we got up there and we really acted it on. We poured it on. We pounded the pulpit and we screamed hard as loud as we could. And uh, so we got a good grade. You know, that's what the teacher wanted. That's what we did. And it was trying to teach you to come out of your shell, forget for a moment, and just holler and raise your voice, say something. So we'd do it. And then we're sitting there on the front row, and there's this girl. And uh, her name was um, Marie Mosier. But Marie was come up to the platform, and me and Bo were sitting right there on the front row. And I don't know where in the world Bo got this from, but he did it. He had a great big old lemon cut in half. And when she got ready to do hers, he went. And she got up and says, I know me and it. And it was so funny. It was so funny. We laughed and laughed and our tears run down our faces. Well, the teacher didn't know what was going on because he was in the back grading, you know. And she, 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 oh, she was mad. <laughs> she was mad. <laughs> we were laughing. It was so funny. Now, you're not supposed to do that. I don't do that anymore because now I'm more mature, suave, you know, and all that stuff. But th there was a time, and I didn't do that. Bo Bryan did it. But, and uh, so she tried to start again, so she did and did the same thing. Anyway, the teacher came moving down there because he could see something was going on. And so uh, he took us both to the back of the class. And so they went ahead with it, and uh, everybody did all right, you know. But, you know, there's just something in some people that are just, just, just meanness, you know. And you think, well, God can't use people like that. And you find out, well, sometimes people mess up. I used to tell the kids in ranch and that was in college, and uh, you work with people, and you got all these kids on the buses, and there's always one loud mouth on the bus. You know, there's always one smart aleck. I says, give them a job. Get, let them be the leader. They want to be a leader? Channel it. Don't stifle it. Let them be the leader. Get them to lead the singing, do the clapping, do something, give orders. But you tell them what to do. And they develop. That it really does. And so um, when it comes to serving the Lord, sometimes you have to, you know, try to figure out how to use people the way they are. It would be so neat if we could just get everybody spiritually minded, holy and godly, and everybody did right. But I haven't found it quite like that yet. Everybody's in the process of being rebuilt. Remade, you know, God's working on us. Know that little song, God's still working on me? Well, he says, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives violently, who errs and comes up short again and again, who knows the great devotions, the great enthusiasm, who at best knows victory, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory nor defeat. Oh, I love that. And then uh, Winston Churchill said this. 
To each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very great special thing. Unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. You see, the light shines the brightest when it's the darkest. And sometimes, somewhere along the line, the Lord may just tap you on the shoulder and have something for you that could be your finest hour. That one great opportunity to do something really great that God wants to do, and you blew it because you were unprepared. Or you didn't perceive it to be great enough for you. And so I think it's better that if you learn how to just be faithful. And the courage that you may be looking for might be that simple little day-by-day, quiet type of courage that just goes through life and you faithfully do what God wants you to do. And leave it to God to bring across that great big opportunity should He do so. But if you're faithful in little things when the big times come, if they do, you'll be prepared to take advantage of it. So just keep that in mind. I also wanted to read this to you because this is so prevalent in the time in which we live and yet it's not anything new. I want to tell you this story about a man named Sam. Sam was an only child. Sam was born to Christian parents who loved the Lord. He did not live here in the United States, but lived in a different country. Sam's parents tried their best to raise him to love the Lord and dedicated him to the Lord. There was Christian communities around in this country. When Sam got old enough, they tried their best to get him to marry a a good Christian girl. Sam had an eye for worldly girls, and he found a beauty, but she was not a Christian. She was not a good girl and did not come from a good home. They got married against his parents' wishes. They fought over a lot of stupid stuff. Her love was for worldly things, idols, and sinful friends. She nagged a lot. She was one of those girls who would cry until they got what they wanted. She would throw words at him like, you only hate me and you do not love me. They finally separated. When Sam did go back to reconcile, he found her living with his best friend. In fact, this friend had been the best man at his wedding. He left and shortly after this, she was killed in a fire. He had nothing to do with her death. It was as though God had worked in his behalf and his parents were happy. That's not all. You think, well, the man finally has learned his lesson. But Sam fell in love with another girl. Her name was Dee Dee. She was not a Christian. You would think Sam would have learned his lesson, but he had not. Sam had gotten a very important job in this country. It was a judgeship. As a judge, Sam tried to deal right, but he was hated by some of the people. As a judge, they considered him a foreigner and would like nothing more than to see him disappear. They set about to make that happen. Those that did not like Sam found out that Dee Dee was the love of Sam's life. So they came to Dee Dee and offered her a very large sum of money if she would participate in kidnapping him. Evidently, it was enough money for her to go through with it. When Sam and Dee Dee were in one of their little love games, and he was least expecting it, she notified them And they went through with the plan. 
Indeed, he left a very wealthy girl. What they did first to him was not a pretty thing. They tortured Sam, blinded him for life. Sam was made to do very hard labor. Sam did not live much longer. Sam's life was cut short by the bad choices that he made. Choices have consequences. Bad choices have deadly consequences. And I imagine by the time I finish reading that little story, you have an idea who I'm talking about. I mean, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Samson and Delilah. You ever heard of them? It's almost like you're talking about somebody today. True? Some little soap opera, maybe. But this is what happens when you get away from doing what God wants you to do. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. In the book of Judges, to understand a little bit about Samson, you need to know a little bit about his parents. How God set all of this up. Samson being born was the will of God. You see, they had been underneath the, the Philistines for about 40 years, and God was setting about to deliver them. And so he told this uh, young couple in verse 2 of the 13th chapter of the book of Judges, And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. They didn't have a child. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Ain't it something when the Lord can come to you and say, Hey, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to have a child, it's going to be a boy, and this is what I want you to call him. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But God knows the future. There's things that God wants done. And God can work in people's lives. He works with sinful people. There are no perfect people, but God has a plan. In verse 4, Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So God wanted this special man to do something special for God. And you notice that as you read the stories, and as we talked about last week about Gideon, none of them are all done exactly the same way. God is a God of diversity. God can use a lot of different kinds of people. We talked about Gideon. He was, uh, you know... A little fella from a little tribe and poor, didn't have anything of the tribe of Manasseh. And the Lord says, thou mighty man of valor. And he turned around ten times looking for who in the world is he talking about. And God used a man who had all kind of questions and doubts. But now this man was a little bit different. You've heard the story of Samson. Strongest man that ever lived. The strongest man that ever lived. I wonder what he looked like. I wonder if he had rippling muscles all over his body, you know, built a little bit like myself, you know. Okay, James Hayslip, maybe a little bit better. But here you have a story of how it began and that God had a plan. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody would just fully, totally give the Lord 
all their heart. See, a lot of times people know what to do. They know what's right. But they won't do what's right. It's like they do just enough to keep God from zapping them. Instead of just getting as close to the Lord and want to serve God with everything they have. But when you don't, there's a price to pay. But look what he says. I think it's so important to see what the angel of the Lord told the wife and the husband about this child. Because they have some good questions in here, or comments, I should say. So then he says here in verse 6, Then the woman came and told her husband, said, Hey, a man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he came and said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink. Neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. In other words, a man totally to supposed to be set apart and given for God to use. And it started with the parents. And so he says here in verse 8, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us. And get this, now this part, you ought to underline it in your Bible, in this verse. But look at it, because it's very important. Teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. Isn't that a good verse for every man and woman that has a child? If you're going to have a child, shouldn't you seek the Lord? Lord, teach us what we need to know to teach this child. I just love that verse, the way it's worded. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband, said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spaketh unto the woman? And he says, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. Now get this part. This is also very important. The words here. How shall we order the child? They knew this child was to be a special child. You know, I've always thought I had three children. Bo Betty had three children. We, we had three children. And we felt every one of our children was different and unique and special. My mama had six kids. I was the third. So there was two girls older than me. And then there was another sister, Kay. And then there was a little man. And then there was Sybil. So there were six kids in our family. And I've always felt like I was the pet child. That my mother loved me more than all the rest of them. She didn't. I never heard my dad ever say these words. I love you. And I was probably 60 years old when I heard my mother say those words. But she put it together with all of us and said, well, y'all know I love y'all kids. And that's the closest I've ever heard my mama come to say that my mama loves me. Now, generally, you have a little baby. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Coo -coo 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 -coo, and you act like an ape in front of a little baby. Maybe that's why they think we came from apes. <laughs> Don't you do all of that? You're like a little ape, little monkey. You get in front of a kid's face. If you want to see a man make a fool of himself, put a baby in his arms. 
I think sometimes a man takes a baby and puts it in his arm just because women sympathize with the man holding the baby. That's why politicians do it. They look so kind and so loving, like they really care. And they're just looking at you're a, you're a vote. You're a vote. You're a vote. But in this verse, how shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? What do we do to this kid? How do we train this kid? What is the order? What do you want us to do? Because he's told them this is a special child. And in verse 13, the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. And then then verse 14, let her observe. Let her be careful not to do anything that I told her not to do, and what not to drink, what not to eat, all these things, and make sure that she observes to do this. So in verse 15, And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. In other words, they're going to kill a goat, and they're going to have something to eat, and blah, blah, blah. We're going to have a party and celebrate and all that. We're going to have something to drink, something to eat. And so uh, the angel of the Lord says, um, You can detain me, but... Um, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to eat any bread. But he was going to show them something that, uh, remember, at this point, they still did not know that this was an angel of the Lord. They thought it was a man of God, but not an angel of the Lord. Isn't there a verse somewhere in the Bible that says, be careful that you might be entertaining angels unaware? Where is that verse found? Hebrews 13. Very good. So Hebrews chapter 13 tells us. Now, I don't know whether or not it ever happens anymore or not. I really don't care. But I do look at people wondering. Sometimes I've seen the strangest things happen. Like people are showing up at such a a time, telling me certain things. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're gone. And they showed up at the right time to give me the right information that I needed. And then they're gone like they'd never... Showed up at all. And just come into my life. And I've wondered, have I been entertaining angels unaware? I don't know. But it is something to think about and to be curious. And it is found in the New Testament. It is found in the book of Hebrews. So whether or not an angel of the Lord could appear in the form of a man in such a way that you couldn't tell that it was an angel of the Lord. That might be a good reason why you ought to treat everybody like they're an angel of the Lord. Be careful what you say, because you never know who you might be talking to. And especially if they have power like the Bible says they do. But look what he says here. She said, well, we don't even know who you are, and we don't even know your name. He says, it's a secret. See, in verse 18, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name? Saying it is secret. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, offered it upon a rock up unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. Now wondrously goes down to verse 20 when he tells you what he did. And Manoah and his wife looked on, for it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. So there's a, a fire. Now, we know we're talking about Gideon, and he touched it, and flame consumed it, and the broth thereof. And now, lo and behold, he touches it, and fire goes up, and the angel goes up in the fire and disappears right out of their sight. Wouldn't you say, I, I, was that a dream? Did you just see what I saw? 
and knowing that you don't have an experience like that every day of your life. Do I believe what I just saw? Do I believe what I just heard? It's one thing when we have the Word of God and we can go back and read it a thousand times. But to have an experience one time, and it may be 10, 15 years before you have another one like Abraham. Wouldn't that be enough to scare you? No, I, did, did he say do this or did he say to do that? Can you remember? I can't remember what he said. That was 15 years ago. We didn't write it down. We have an advantage because we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God. And that's why I love it, because I can sit down. I don't have to wonder what he did say. I, I can read what he said, and I can read it a hundred times, a thousand times I can read what God said. So it is important. But notice what he said. The angel of the Lord had to give him assurance. See, they said, we shall surely die because we have seen the face of God. Well, they saw an angel. And sometimes maybe it's a theophanies or a pre-manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament as an angel of the Lord. And those things have happened. But it says here in verse 21, But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did he just tell them they were going to have? They were going to have a child. And he told them how to raise the child. So, you're not going to die. It's amazing how fast you can forget. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would he at this time have told us such things as these. The woman's smarter than the man. Uh, Y'all understand this. Men are not always smarter than the women. I know this is a special revelation. You did not know that. But women are not the dumber of the species. The Bible says she's weaker. And the reason that you know she is the weaker vessel is because of the weakness of the stronger vessel for the weaker vessel. Therefore, she is actually the stronger vessel of the weaker. We'll leave that go. I've seen great big men moved around by a little old five-foot woman. Henry, get out of here! <laughs> My brother, little man, he's not a little man anymore. But I've watched Cheryl go, man! Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He says, she got on her knees to me one time. Little man, get out from under that bed. Verse 24, I hope he's not watching tonight. Verse 24, and the woman bare a son, called his name Samson. The child grew, the Lord blessed him. Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. This man knew he had incredible strength. I wonder what it would be like at that time to find out. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he had, he would be like Superman. I would like to be like Superman. I mean, if a bear came after you, you could just rip them apart. Or if a lion came after you, you rip them apart. As though they're nothing. And later on, you'll find out that he took the jawbone of an ass and killed a thousand Philistines. But now notice, chapter 14. Chapter 14. 
And Samson went down to Timnath. He saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father and his mother, he said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistine. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Well, the Lord knew what he was going to do. Samson also was looking for an opportunity to zap the Philistines. He wanted to start trouble. He had a plan in mind. But the parents didn't know this. Now, could he have done it a different way? Wasn't it true that they were not supposed to take any women of the Philistines? They weren't supposed to do that. So there are some things he did that maybe he shouldn't have done, but he did them. But God knew that he would do it, and God could still use his disobedience for his honor. See, if you serve the Lord, God can use you. If you don't serve the Lord, God can still use you. He can show you what he can do, not only through you, but to you. If you want his blessings, you better do what brings the blessing, but God can also chasten. And because of some of his decisions, he got himself into a lot of trouble. And so he says here in verse 3, Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistine? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But her father and her mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. About 40-something years now. And then in verse 5, Then Samson went down, his father and his mother, to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and said, Behold, a young lion roared against him. This is why we always tell you, be careful. A roaring lion is seeking whom he may devour. But in this case, uh, the lion got devoured. Anyway, the spirit, in verse 6, And the spirit of the Lord came mightily, and here's two words, upon him. Not within him, but upon him, like I was talking about a while ago. And he rent him as he would have rent a kid, a little goat. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So he went on down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Well, see, in the meantime, there's some bees that had got into this here carcass of the lion and made some honey. And later on, he comes by there, and there's some honey. But in the book of uh, Leviticus in chapter 11 and verse uh, 27, I believe it is, they were not supposed to touch the carcass of a dead animal. They would be unclean. Now, whether he touched the carcass or not, but he did touch the honey. And he gave some to his mama, gave some to his daddy. And then he used that to develop a riddle. And uh, if he hadn't have told the answer to the riddle, I would have never figured it out myself either. After I read it a hundred times, I still couldn't figure out the riddle until I read the answer. And then I found the answers, and the riddle don't even look like they go together. I mean, Bob Gilbert probably had it all figured out ahead of time because he knows the Hebrew. But I, um, I just couldn't get it, even after I didn't read it. But notice there in verse 8, he says, He came back by there, there's a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he went on his way and so forth, but he never told anybody, and he gave them some, and they ate it and all. But down in verse 10, So his father went down to the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So here's all these people coming together for this uh, little wedding party they're going to have. 
And he told him, he says, I got a riddle for you, and I'll bet you. I guess he was a gambling man, too. You tell me what I, my riddle is, and uh, if you win, I'll get 30 garments and so forth for 30 of you. But if you lose, you've got to get them from me. And the Bible says he was looking for an occasion. But he did. He wound up, uh, he lost the argument. And he wound up going out and killing some. And he got all their garments and brought it back and gave it to them. But uh, how much is not put into the scripture? I don't know, because he ruled for about 20 years. And it doesn't say all the things that happened. A little bit here and a little bit there. But just a couple of the stories that does find its way into the scriptures here, you know. that They're interesting. But they don't represent his whole life. There's a lot of empty spaces. And, uh, you know, when we get to heaven or even into the kingdom and they come from the east and the west and we shall sit down into the kingdom. They want to be neat to sit and talk with these guys, find out what really happened and what they did and why they did this. I think it would be great to sit down and talk with them. But he says in verse 12, and Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly declare it me within seven days of the feast, find it out that I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. But if you cannot declare it to me, then shall you give me 30 sheets and 30 chains of garment. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. He said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So they um, decided to plow with his heifer. And they said, What in the world does that mean? Well, in the last part of verse 18 where it says, the last three lines, if ye had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. So did they find out the riddle? Because they plowed with his heifer. Now, who was his heifer? His wife. Now, we don't usually like to refer to our wives as a heifer. As a cow. It's not a wise thing to do. Amen. What did you say, Dan? <laughs> it's just not a wise thing to do. Like this one guy says, I'm not saying my wife's a nag, but I had to go to the blacksmith shop to get her shoes. <laughs> Anyways, we're moving right along. Look in verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Don't look like they wanted to lose. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost not but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told me. You didn't tell me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it to my mother or father or my mother. And shall I tell it thee? This is where he should have left it. But what did he do? He told her. Bad move. Bad move. He should have saw this coming. But he was blindsided. And she wept before him. Fellows, be careful of them tears. They'll do you in. While they feasted last, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day, Before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey, 
and what is stronger than a lion. Now that I got, but the other part, forget it. And he said unto them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. So what did Samson have to do? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them, took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. So there was a separation. She, I'm mad at her. I'm going home to my mama. So he went home to mama. Now later on, he comes back down to get her and finds out, lo and behold, she then took off with his best friend uh, at the wedding. But anyway, in verse 20, but Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Now, this is explained a little bit more in detail in the next chapter, which we will continue there on Wednesday night. Look up here. When we look in the scriptures and you see these things, you see that God is using people. And God's the one that can come upon a person and open up the doors and this didn't happen in every family where God appears and tells them you're going to have a child and this is what I want and blah, 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 blah. But sometimes we just have to be that quiet courage, that quiet dedication. We just, day by day, silently, quietly, we just move along and do what God wants us to do. But whatever it is, if a God gives one man something big to do and somebody else something little to do, if you're faithful to do what it is God gave you to do, and they're faithful to do what God gave them to do, when you get to heaven, both men are rewarded for their faithfulness. Not because of the size of the job. It's not the size of the job. Because you don't always determine the size of the job or the opportunity or how many you get. Be faithful to do what you can with what God gives to you knowing that God's going to bless you when all of it's all over with. And God says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So labor. But we don't labor to go to heaven. This is something that God says that he can use people. And he did use people. And so he came upon people. The New Testament, when we trust Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us and wants to put us on as a garment. And he works and moves within us. And so if he has control of our bodies, then he can do whatever he wants to do. This hand represents you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. And since every man sins, every man is condemned. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So God says you cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough to earn your way to heaven by your good deeds. The payment is death. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He's God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. Said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put the payment he made to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did. If you have never trusted Christ as Savior, or if you that are watching by internet, if you've never trusted the Lord, the only thing you have to do to go to heaven is will you believe that when Christ died, he died and paid for your sins, all of them. And if you believe that, 
then he puts that payment to your account and gives you eternal life as a free gift, and you get to go to heaven whenever you die. Best news in the world. Let's pray, shall we? With his bow and eyes closed and no one looking around, I pray that all of you here have trusted the Lord, but you never know. So in the quietness of this moment between you and the Lord, just say something simple like this, Lord, I'm a sinner. Friend, that's just being honest. We all are. But I believe that when Christ died, he died for me. And I believe it. And I'm going to trust him as my only hope of going to heaven. And God said, if you trust him, he would save you. He that believeth on me hath, present tense, hath everlasting life. If he gave you everlasting life, it would last forever. And if it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, then you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. But you that are watching by internet, right there on your screen, says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. If you will, just click that little button. It just lets us know that we have somebody out there listening that trusted Christ as their Savior. You don't have to do it to go to heaven. It just lets us know. And we care about each and every one of you. Our Father, we thank you so much for watching over us and for blessing us, for giving us the free gift of the everlasting life. And we just pray, Lord, that each person here has trusted you. So with his bound eyes closed and no one looking around, if you have never done so, would you do it right now? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but it lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And say, preacher, I will trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Father, thank you so much for your word, for the stories that you have placed within it to help teach us how you work. You don't use perfect people. There aren't any. But, Father, we know that your desire is for each one of us to love you with all our heart. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And there's so much that we know that we should do, and we don't always do it. And so, Father, there's a price to pay. We ask your blessings upon the study of your word. In Christ's name, amen.